Hello and welcome. I'm so glad you're able to join us. This is Search for Truth with Brian Johnston, your Bible teacher. And during the next 15 minutes, Brian will be seeking to answer another of our listeners' questions. Over the last 12 months or so, quite a few questions have come in, and some have been repeated by other listeners, and now we're into our third question in a 10-week series. There's no booklet to accompany this series, but up to the beginning of March, God willing, Brian will be responding to a new question each time, which you might recognise as the one you asked. If you do, and Brian's answer's been a help, please let us know. There's questions such as, is there such a place as purgatory? Why was salvation such a long time in coming? And what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? These and others will be covered in the coming weeks. But now here's today's question. Brian, do we really have guardian angels? Right, John. Well, one of our listeners, as you say, has written to us, and this is actually what he says. Hello again, Brian. I hope you don't mind me contacting you again after you kindly answered my previous question. My question this time concerns angels. Let me give you some background. In 2008, he says, while walking home from town, I was hit by a car at 30 miles an hour and received head injuries and a broken left leg. I was taken to hospital and was in a wheelchair for six weeks and on crutches for 21 weeks and had over 12 months of physiotherapy plus operations. I still have severe pain in my left heel and an MRI scan now reveals the need for some keyhole surgery. My question simply is, I thought all believers had a guardian angel, invisible to our human eyes, who would step in to help in a genuine emergency such as befell me. So, do we really have guardian angels? So that's the question we've set to have a look at today. It's about guardian angels. It's something that many people think about. But first of all, we should say that we're really sorry to hear of the accident which our listening friend suffered. It's clearly one of those seemingly random accidents which can have life-changing consequences for the helpless victim. The main biblical passage which our listener likely has in mind is found in Matthew chapter 18. So shall we read that together from verse 1? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And now dropping to verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That last verse has attracted a lot of interest in terms of giving rise to the idea of so-called guardian angels. But is it justified? We'd have to say that because the information is limited and also capable of alternative interpretations, it's best not to be too fixed in our views. It certainly could be implying that God has entrusted the care of little children to a specific group of his angelic beings, their angels, as it says, who are in constant touch with God the Father. Some find additional support for this comforting thought in Psalm 91 and verse 11, where we read, starting in verse 1, 
He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And now dropping to verse 9. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against the stone. This psalm, however, which Satan tried to use to his advantage in tempting the Lord Jesus, isn't focused on children, but rather on the man or woman who makes God their refuge in the troubles of life. Some have even called it the missionary's prayer, applying it, albeit out of context, to those who for the cause of Christ have ventured into foreign and sometimes dangerous terrains. Another psalm has a similar thought, this time at Psalm 34 and verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. The idea here is that an angelic messenger from the Lord protects the people of God as an army defends a country, in the way that an army would be a protection. The angelic messenger pitches his tent near the people of God and is there to guard them from danger. But is there any other scripture, any other Bible verse that we can be clear about which applies to all believers? Yes, there is. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, we're told that angels are ministering servants sent out to do service for all who inherit salvation. Here's what it says, speaking about angels. I'm now quoting it exactly from Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? What we find there is a more general, potentially protective brief. On the other hand, it's a very plain, unambiguous statement telling us of general assistance for believers which comes from angels, but not necessarily one-to-one protection against everything. God sometimes has a purpose in suspending our protection and permitting bad things to happen to good people. On the other hand, it does seem, however, that each nation mentioned in the book of Daniel had a guardian or representative angel. Let's refer to some of those verses, starting in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the angelic prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. That's an entrancing glimpse behind the scenes into a spiritual realm of activity with which our prayers engage, something which is later confirmed by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, which tells us that our prayer struggle is against hostile spiritual forces in heavenly realms. Before this, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel had been praying a most heartfelt prayer of intercession on behalf of his exiled people and their desolate sanctuary. They'd no one but themselves to blame, and no hope other than in the mercies of God. Daniel's prayer is classic textbook intercession. While he's still in the flow of his prayer, God sends the angel Gabriel to convey his response. 
This is far from the only time that God has employed an angel in answering human prayers, which is clearly one way in which angels, as ministering spirits, are sent to minister to us. Hezekiah prayed, and an angel destroyed the armies of the Assyrians. Cornelius prayed, and an angel directed him to send for Peter to come and preach Jesus to him. And then there's the Church of God at Jerusalem, which prayed, and an angel opened the doors of Peter's prison. This is certainly another Bible passage which we should read if we're trying to throw some light on our listener's question. It's found in Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when he realised this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognised Peter's voice, because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. When Peter was released from prison and came knocking on the door of the prayer meeting room, the suggested explanation it is his angel, may mean that they supposed that the guardian angel appointed to attend Peter had come to bring news of him. This notion arose from the common belief among the Jews that each individual had assigned to him, at birth, an angel who was to guard and defend him through life. However, this Bible text may be simply recording Jewish thought here, not affirming that it was a correct thought. So the most that we can say to our listener who asked is this, that at times, yes, God does employ angelic messengers to help believers in answer to their prayers.
If our listener who asked this question has been listening, then please let us know if Brian's talk's been helpful. Now, sometimes answers may raise questions, and if this applies to you or you've any comments, we'd love to hear from you. Now, here's our postal and our email address: Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN, UK. I'll repeat that for you: Search for Truth, Church of God. Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN, UK. And now here's our email address: sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, as I said, there's no booklet for this series on listeners' questions, but you can still access the many booklets for subjects and studies which we've aired previously.、Uh, so each week I'll remind you of different ways to obtain them. And one way you might be interested to know is that at least thirty or even more titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books, and these are available at Amazon.co.uk/kindle-e-books. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box, and you'll find them. So that's all we have for now, and it's been really great to have your company today. I hope you're enjoying this series of listeners' questions. And next week, Brian tackles the question: Did Christ descend to Sheol? If you want to know what that's all about, then please join us again. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, from David, from our singers, and me, John. Goodbye, and may God richly bless you. <laughs>